Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. The information in this podcast is provided for education and research information only. It is not a substitute for professional health advice. If you're trying to get pregnant, or you are pregnant, and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Welcome, everyone. I'm Bridget Maloney. Welcome back, everybody. Obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney here. Yes, and before, <laughs> nice, Pat. And before we uh, get into this episode, I want to talk about something that's really exciting that's happening in the kick and grow my baby land. Good. And that is that um, Pat and I have been putting together a weekly newsletter, which is really something that is like you're being shadowed by an obstetrician all throughout your pregnancy. Oh, spooky. <laughs> In a good way. In a good way. Yeah, and it can tell you things such as your the different milestones, what tests to expect, what antenatal appointments are coming up, how to be prepared for those antenatal appointments. Uh, so, yes, keep a lookout for that. We're really, really excited. We think that it will really help people uh, who are listening along to the podcast have a more sequential time. Good. We haven't thought of a snappy title for it yet, though, so yeah. open to suggestions. Yes, we'll, we'll get that. We thought, you know, maybe the stalk delivery. No, we didn't. <laughs> that was a terrible suggestion, not Boo. mine. <laughs> Boo. Uh, good. All right. So this week, though, is is actually a listener request. Yep. Mm, cord insertion. Cord insertions. Yeah. So it's from Samantha. Hey, Pat and Bridget. Just wondered if you guys could talk about the different types of cord insertion. I have an eccentric cord insertion and saw online there are different types and would love to know the differences and risks. Thank you. Love the pod. Kiss, kiss. Nice. Good. All right. So I just wanted to re- remind people we have done uh, an episode on the umbilical cord. Yep. That's episode 37. So, yeah, go and have a listen to that too because that's got some more information about um, the cord. Yeah, so then we were talking about the cord itself and what it does and knots in the cord and so forth. Yeah. But this is specifically about cord insertion. Where does the cord meet the placenta? Mm. And this is something that in recent years has started to be routinely reported on a second trimester 18 to 20-week pregnancy ultrasound. So they'll say now where where the cord inserts. And that's because we're learning more and more about uh, abnormal cord insertions and how they might affect the management of the rest of the pregnancy. And some people are told what cord insertion they've got without any background. So Yeah, well, they, they don't tell you Yeah, yeah what that, that means. Yeah. They don't tell you what yeah. it means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I can totally get what Samantha's come to us mm. with because She's, someone said it's eccentric and you're like, wow, what does is that, that bad? Is yeah. that good? Is that All right, so let's start, Pat, with maybe talking about the different types of cord insertions. Yeah, good. So um, it's not uh, complicated. If we think of the placenta like a dinner plate, most of the cords uh, uh, meet the placenta in the middle. And then there's a bunch of arteries and veins that spread out through the placenta, um, but but the cord forms out of roughly the middle. Okay, And that's called a central insertion, and that's the most standard one, the most common one, the most 
normal, if you like. There's a eccentric chord insertion, which means somewhere somewhere other than the middle, but not right over on the edge. Uh, there's a marginal chord insertion, which means on the margin, on the edge. And then there's a, a, a rare thing called a, a velamentous insertion, which is an unusual sort of anatomy where where the chord, as you can view it, doesn't run all the way to the placenta. It sort of stops four or five centimetres before the placenta, gives off a whole bunch of vessels, and then those vessels insert into the placenta. Yeah, wow. And that's an, that's a an interesting... Hopefully uh, rare. Rare anatomy as well. Yeah. yeah. And all of those different types of cord insertions are first diagnosed on ultrasound? Yeah, on a good ultrasound you'll see them all. Yeah. Mm. How often have you seen a velamentous? Oh, I see them a few times. I think it's about 1% of singleton babies mm. and more common with twins. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and, you know, you've got two placenta. In the two placenta twins, you've got two placentas. And and then um, in the in the... Uh, monochorionic um, twins, the um, the placenta is often a little bit funny, and um, and velamentous uh, 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 cord insertion is much much more common. Yeah, right. Gosh, another um, another risk factor. Potential complication <laughs> yeah, yeah. twins. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I did read uh, that it's possible for a marginal cord insertion to turn into a velamentous cord insertion. Yeah, I'm not sure that that's right. I think that I saw that. Google told me. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I don't know that that's right. I doubt that's true. I think what what is probably happening there is that the first time they looked, they thought it was marginal, and the second time they looked, they realised it was velamentous. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Okay, so I don't think the anatomy's changed. I think the opinion has changed. Yeah, because it would be hard to think that a cord that was actually marginal but inserted into a placenta all of a sudden changed and exactly, it was no longer yeah, – yeah. yeah, so I don't, I don't think they change. I think they're probably roughly – they're probably the same throughout, yeah. but we might not pick it on the first scan. There you go. You're so clever. I should never trust my Google searches. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> all right, good. We've just talked about the anatomy, so let's take a little break and when we come back we'll talk about what the relevance of the cord insertion is. Good. Good. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. (laughs) We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast, Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant, in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you, come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're here talking today about cord insertion. So, Patty, of all the ones that aren't central, what are the main problems with how other insertions are? That's the key, isn't it? Because mm. if it's just a harmless anatomical variation, then do we really mind? One of the things we're always looking for off those very, very skillfully um, uh, performed early ultrasounds in pregnancy is hints about 
should we do anything special with this pregnancy in the third trimester to make sure we get a good outcome? So we want to know off the second trimester scan if the placenta is covering the cervix, so we know that that's a placenta preview and we might have to have that baby by cesarean section. And over the years, they've just got better and better at it and they're picking up more and more little soft markers which we can use to make a plan for the third trimester. And uncommon or abnormal cord insertions do correlate to a certain extent with a higher risk of, of problems in the third trimester, including poor growth and, you know, in some tragic circumstances, um, sudden sudden fetal loss towards term. Yeah, right. And sometimes, you know, if we have a term stillbirth, baby seems fine one day and term stillbirth the next day, the only abnormality that's found is an unusual cord insertion. We start to think, well, was that relevant? Mm. Okay. So if if you, you're found to have an, an unusual cord insertion at 20 weeks, we can't get in there and fix that, mm. but we can put in extra steps to make sure that the um, third trimester is managed well. Some extra education for that patient about the, 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 the absolute value of monitoring fetal movements in the third trimester and the use of additional ultrasounds to make sure that the growth is normal. And things, I suppose, you know, we've talked about how you're sleeping, whether you're sleeping on your back or your side, and, you, and you've always said, look, it seems to matter more if there's something such as... Yeah, yeah. exactly, yep, yep. So these are situations where little 1% might be might mm. be relevant. Uh, so I, so do, do we think that in a normal pregnancy, a big, big chubby term baby, um, that it's that important how you sleep? Probably not, but what if the baby is uh, marginally growth restricted, mm. um, then uh, that could make all the difference to that baby. Mm. Yeah. And when you say that, you know, tragically could um, result in fetal loss, is that all of the abnormal cord insertions yeah, or are there so some any, worse than others? Oh, there's some worse than others, mm. but, um, but um, you know, as a group, uh, they are people who we should be particularly focused on in the third trimester. In the exact same way that we would focus in on the on the people who've got diabetes, preeclampsia, thyroid disease, previous fetal loss, hypertension, mm. uh, because we we want to really focus in on that group to get good outcomes for those people by um, seeing them more often, doing more scans, approaching them at the start of every visit with a real an eagle eye for growth restriction. Mm. Um, whereas if somebody is absolutely textbook, you know, mm. most of those people will be fine. And what about uh, someone who perhaps is in uh, the midwifery program or a diff- non-obstetric program? Is, yeah. is that still where they would be or is it considered high risk it, now? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, that would be up to individual hospital policies. But, but some of these things found on ultrasound, which suggest that that woman needs more intense third trimester monitoring might be one of the scenarios in which you might either be booted out of the midwifery care program over over into the doctor's clinic or you might um, have a consultation with an obstetrician once or twice during your midwife monitored pregnancy where they they put a plan in place. Mm. So we get the specialist obstetrician to say, right, yeah, you can stay in midwifery clinic, but because of your unusual cord insertion, I want to scan here, here and here, mm. and uh, any abnormal results to be run by me. And we've talked about it before where you have uh, talked about growth restricted restricted scans best done by the same sonographer, if at all possible. Yeah, if that's possible, that's, been, that's been shown here? to help. Oh, well, yeah, but we only have to diagnose the abnormal cord insertion oh, yeah. once. 
Yeah. Um, but then the growth scans, that the extra growth scans that might come as a consequence of that, mm. yeah, it, it's good practice if they can be done by the same person. It's not always possible, but it's one of the reasons why as obstetricians in the private sector will often pick our favourite favorite scanner yeah and and stick with them send most of the work to them Mm. because uh it's very very nice especially with twins Mm. um to get uh the same person looking each time Mm. um and uh, it's been shown to increase accuracy now what about those patients that uh and we hear from them all the time that perhaps haven't seen anyone until 20 weeks or aren't having the surveillance that is gold standard is what you're sort of saying you know mm-hmm. with the ultrasounds are there any signs either towards the end of the pregnancy or during labor that might highlight that there's a cord problem during the in the later stages of the pregnancy we would like to know that what the what the anatomy is yeah mm-hmm. that's why we think that regardless of where someone's having their care a single, at least a single morphology ultrasound in the middle of the pregnancy is is the bare minimum of care. And this is, you know, we'd like to see that globally mm. um, because um, they will pick up big problems at that point. In labour, there are some uh, features of cord issues that will give an abnormal fetal heart rate trace in labour. And we've discussed those elsewhere, but... One of the most common ones is, is uh, you know, big, deep decelerations of the fetal heart rate with contractions in the early stages of the of the labour. Mm, that someone would see on a CTG graph. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which could indicate the cords being compressed and, com- and may, may frequently indicate a cord that's tightly around the neck. Mm. And so does um, any of the particular cord insertions change the way a woman can birth her baby? Not necessarily. I think if the, if the cord insertion is unusual but the fetal growth is normal, then, then we would we would manage that in the usual way. Come into spontaneous labour at term, um, and uh, monitor monitor the labour carefully. Yeah, so it doesn't increase your chance of Caesar or. Well, one of the things that we might do uh, is if we knew about an unusual cord insertion, but everything else was fine and the baby was well grown and the fetal movements were normal, we might say, fine, we're still good for vaginal birth, but we we might consider continuous fetal monitoring Mm. rather than intermittent auscultation where we just have a listen from time to time during during the labour. And that that would be because that we considered that labour to be at marginally higher risk of an in-labour problem, but not so high that we planned a section instead. What would be your overall advice for someone, you know, like our first questioner? Just be prepared to have more surveillance. Yep. Have a second trimester ultrasound between 18 and 20 weeks. Get an accurate diagnosis of where the cord goes into the placenta. Get some expert advice about what that really means and put that advice into practice. Yep. All right. Well, I hope that helps everybody because actually it's not the first time we've been asked about cord insertion. Yeah, we've been asked a few times. And and because this is – it's not brand new, but – I don't think they reported cord insertion data when I on a 20-week 20, 20 scan when my career started. I'm sure they didn't. Mm. I think this is something that I've seen come in over the last perhaps 10 years. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm sure it's because we're, we're only, we've only more recently determined that it's relevant. Yeah. And the untrained health professional, like the me, the pregnant woman, reading those um, reports sometimes – 
without background. Like it's yeah, it's well, that's really, why, yeah, you got to be careful reading the report because yeah. some um, some things sound sound horrible in medical language and it's actually normal. Mm. Um, other things like a like a marginal cord insertion for you might be might be fine. Mm. Just means we've got to watch a bit more closely. Yeah, and I need to know what questions to ask my health practitioner. Sure. Yep. Good. That's so, why we're here. Well, yes, and I hope we gave you some questions to ask your health practitioner and um, a bit of a plan. Perfect. Good. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. We're going to move on to our. Myth or fact? All right, Pat, I've picked this out because it's a topic of conversation in our family at the moment. Good. Um, and that is uh, about aspartame. <laughs> had a big nice conversation one. about this well on done. our holiday. Yep. Um, so if you are pregnant, you yep. should avoid low-calorie sweetness such as aspartame. Yeah. Good. Myth or fact? I don't have a problem with it. I think that's a, a myth, to be honest. Mm. So um, aspartame is a sweetener in... in you know, diet soft drinks, um, and it makes it taste sweet without it being sugar and having lots of calories. And and um, some people feel very strongly that that's bad for you. Other people think that there's some evidence that it might give you cancer. But everyone seems to agree that if that if it's dangerous, it's only in super amounts, mm. and it might be like like alcohol. You know, like not for a pregnant person, but for a non-pregnant person, small amounts of alcohol are fine, huge amounts really dangerous. Mm. Uh, so it's it seems pretty likely that if it's got negative effects in humans, it's only in big doses. So I don't have a problem with my pregnant ladies drinking diet soft drink. In moderation. In, in moderation, yeah. exactly. So so um, less than one can a day. Yeah. Yeah, less than. So you've got to remember that some people really, really like their soft drink and if they're not having the diet ones, they might be having the full strength ones. Mm. And the risks to a pregnancy, not to mention our general health, from obesity are, one, are, are proven a thousand times over. If someone said to me as their, as their GP, Doc, I'm going to have a diet soft drink every day for the rest of my life or a can of full strength, what should I go for? Um, absolutely, you'd go the diet one. Mm. Mm. Or try different things. Like there's the, the other day I had a um, – Yeah, but if it's a choice between the if two. If it's a choice between the yeah, two, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we should all drink water. Water. Yeah. We should be drinking water. Yeah. And the other day I had a – one of those really nice sort of fruity teas in water. Mm. I've never done that. I don't know why. But just, you know, as a cold drink, it was really lovely. In preparation for this discussion. Yeah, no, <laughs> just to feel superior. No, um, I bring it up, this this particular myth or fact, because the WHO yep. recently listed aspartame as a possible carcinogen. Yeah. And I thought it might be interesting to see that other things in this category are mobile phones and aloe vera. Yeah. yeah. There, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Too much of lots of things is bad for you. It is. Yeah. So, so um, be cautious, watch the amount, but it's not a problem in itself. Mm. Good. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. If you love our show, please get on to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and maybe write us a little note. We love listening, we love uh, reading those little notes in um, the iTunes. Um, and, yeah, keep a lookout for our newsletter, uh, which we will be launching very, very soon, if not already by the time that this uh, podcast gets launched. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye for now.